catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. On 29th April 2021, the social media post of Convexity on Facebook read, Come be part of history as we launch the first blockchain hub in Abuja, Nigeria. We'll also be hosting the Abuja Blockchain Community Meetup with BNU Blockchain Nigeria, where blockchain, crypto, NFTs, DeFi, crypto investigations and more will be discussed. Many may not understand how important this move is until the fruits start to materialize in the continent. And not only can blockchain be adopted across different sectors of the African economy, but the ecosystem can organically develop to systematically provide solutions that are peculiar to Africa. Convexity Hub in Abuja, Nigeria is the first fully fitted blockchain hub with a standard crypto forensic investigation lab. And this is an encouraging step to unbundling and opening up the ecosystem in Africa. And it will provide regulators with an expert channel for active government participation in the blockchain and digital currency ecosystem. This hub is open for innovators, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and industry leaders to explore, consult, and even partner with a facility to build projects that are scalable. This will, above all, help Africans to move from being just consumers to active developers and influencers of the blockchain and crypto evolution, which we currently are experiencing at a very increasingly, interestingly growing rate. The founder and COO of Convexity Hub, Adideji Uwonibi, in this chart will help you better understand what impact this blockchain forensic lab will have in Africa. Welcome, Mr. Adideji. How are you doing and how are you faring? I'm very well. Thank you very much, Anthony. I'm very happy and glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on this chat. So a lot of Thank people a lot of people have started getting used to the term blockchain because almost everyone knows about cryptocurrencies now even though without proper understanding a lot of people don't really understand what blockchain will offer aside cryptocurrencies which they already see it offering or what it will offer the other areas of the society and now we are here talking about blockchain forensics right so now what is the idea behind this and why is it important to have a blockchain forensics lab like i said earlier i'm very happy and excited to actually join you today like few people that know me earlier, I've been in the practice of financial forensics for some years, spanning from 2010-2011. And what we do purely is to assist, you know, to unravel financial infractions and to also see if there are criminal tendencies involved in uh, money's disappearing. We help with some forensic techniques uh, actually to follow the money. But so it just makes a lot of sense to us when we discover that money have actually, or money is changing hands, our money is metamorphosing from what we actually know as money to digital currency. And therefore, we know that if there's new money, there's going to be new crime. And if there are new crime, we have investigated. And so we shifted our services to becoming one first, actually, within Africa to practice cryptocurrency forensic. The journey was very tedious, but of course, we're able to navigate. And now that brings us to the establishment of the lab, strong partnership around the globe with leading players within the crypto forensics analytic firm like Chain Analysis, Blockchain Intelligence Group, Coin Farm, and a whole lot of them. So, of course, we are very happy to have such partnership with them. 
And we are also very, very prepared at this moment to offer our services within Africa to make sure we sanitize uh, the growing cryptocurrency uh, space. Yeah, you mentioned financial forensics, which you were in. In the area of managing government funds, this can really help uh, communities hold their leaders accountable. How important is this in ensuring transparency and accountability in governance in Africa? Because this is a very, very serious issue. How can we build solutions that are easily accessible to the majority of Africans to have little or no access to the internet? Yes, like you said, forensic is kind of a very specialized field and also very risky for people to engage in it. And I think that is why we have very minimal people practicing it in Nigeria. And you understand why. Most Nigerians will probably understand why. For government, it's very beneficial. Just before I joined this conversation, I was watching Arise and they were discussing the forensic audit of the NDDC. Most Nigerians, again, will be familiar with the drama that happened with the NDDC ahead at the National Assembly. Of course, those are the things, you know, that forensic will help unravel and keep the sanity of those funds and also bring development very close to people. Many, many monies and funds are going to be used for what they are meant to be used for. And if they're not, we can actually show that these monies were not used for what it was intended to be used for. I think that is the critical point in forensics. Now, one of the major issues with the adoption of cryptocurrencies by governments and regulators is the idea of accountability and tracing it. What part will this whole play to helping to bring the regulators and the practitioners to be on the same page of this new development, this new digital money? Yeah, it's a long journey, and I'm glad we're starting the journey. You know, the opportunities you know that abide in the services we plan to offer the public is that it brings transparency from both ends you know the government if you remember very vividly the central bank's uh, governor's speech to explain reasons why they asked the banks to stop you know servicing cryptocurrency businesses which are called the visual asset service providers is that bad actors are taking charge of the space they cannot be investigated in his own words that these are not traceable. And um, I think that is a word for me and this practice that I find very disturbing because these are actually very traceable. And uh, I did I did say it that as far back as 2013, BI and the US, you know, were try tried as much as they could, even as scanty and minimal those tools were those days to actually hunt down the Silk Road dark web uh, business, you know, uh, hunt the founder down seized over 199,000 Bitcoin at that time. And that was like 2013. So, and now a lot of things have changed. A lot of development have come. A lot of technology have come into the field. We have the likes of chain analysis doing magic with the space. We have the likes of cypher trades. We have the likes of blockchain intelligence growth. Mention them. There's so many big time, big businesses, big companies, you know, trying to do analytics, trying to offer forensic services, trying to hunt down the back actors trying to make sure that the space and blockchain are secure and pseudonymous as it is, we can actually see, we can attribute a lot of off-chain information to hand down who did very wrong thing that is against the state, that the state can come, you know, after them. So I think that till today remains a mirage, it remains a very big misconception between the regulators and even the players, the guys that are actually using the bitcoins of this world and all that, they believe also that this is not traceable. 
for the terms to do shady things with it. But I wrote an article some times ago and I said, Bitcoin, you know, the law enforcement's best friend because nothing is actually hidden. The blockchain itself is a truth machine and it's more transparent than even the cash we use today. So if you're a criminal and you decided that the best tool and the best money you can use is actually Bitcoin, for instance, uh, of course, you just going to meet your Waterloo very, very fast. And that is what we're trying to do to give our support to law enforcement, to give our support to regulators, to tell them what is possible, to show them what is actually possible within this blockchain. And there's no cause for alarm. They should embrace it. They should allow the ecosystem to grow within Africa. And that is what we're looking at. So from, we're starting from Nigeria and we had discussions with people in Kenya to see how we can extend that to Kenya. We're currently having discussion with some chaps in Rwanda to see how we can get this to Rwanda for the space to be allowed to just organically grow while allaying that fear that people cannot actually be hunted down if they do anything you know, against the state with such money. So that is our aim and that is what we're looking forward to achieving within the African sub-region. So how effective have these discussions gone? Because you're in Nigeria and in Nigeria for now, the Sibian restriction on legacy banks and cryptocurrencies are still quite there in the open. So how effective have your discussions been, especially in Nigeria where it's still been, it's still an issue? I would say very effective. Of course, there are gestation period for people to begin to see you know, the fruit of our discussion. We're discussing with the central bank. We're discussing as a blockchain community in Nigeria. We are discussing at the realm of Beacon, that is the blockchain group that, you know, unify all the blockchain association in Nigeria, talking to them. On my personal capacity and as a company, we've engaged the central bank. We've done some trainings for them pro bono, and we're engaging them daily. As early as yesterday, I still had a discussion with some chaps in central bank and seeing how we can assist for them to have a complete look of what is possible and to also be rather sure that if they have to, you know, if people just misbehave using this cryptocurrency, they can be hunted and they can be gotten. And therefore, legitimate people transacting with it should be supported. And I think we'll see the result coming very fastly. When you step out of Nigeria, for instance, I had a discussion with some organization in Kenya, and they're looking to see how they can support the SEC, for instance, in Kenya, to see if it's possible for them to know what is actually very possible in a regulatory standpoint. Remember, a Nigerian SEC came up with a regulation on how a visual asset can be regulated. And I was opportune to be part of the member of the drafting committee for that regulation. And that is the kind of support we're giving our regulators to understand the space and to see how things can work. So things are working. Uh, don't forget also the uh, Nigeria as a country have got what we call the National Blockchain Strategy, which, again, I was opportune to be part of the technical team that put together that strategy. So we're moving, you know, educating the regulators, educating the government, see what is possible. But we know it's not easy for you to just flip through from your traditional standpoint and begin to embrace something new. You need a lot of education, continuous education, and that is what we're doing. I believe very soon uh, everything will come. Of course, we saw a little glimpse of those... Um, success when the central bank uh, governor did mention last week that oh, the central bank is looking to also roll out its own digital currency those are all discussion in that space and a lot more are going to come from the central bank i believe you know until that is ready let me not let the card out of the bag <laughs>
<laughs> sure, we expect all positives, especially in this um, um, area. Now, you've talked about advancing the ecosystem, bringing regulators and practitioners to one particular point, the middle. This hub will surely assist in advancing the ecosystem as a whole. Now, let's look at the blockchain developer community. Now, what is the plan for building this community so that we can have blockchain solutions that address very African-specific challenges? Beautiful. If you're following up the launch of the hub, it will interest you to know that the next day after our launch, what we had was the developers' roundtable. And we brought even aspiring developers. If you think you want to just develop within the blockchain space, come around. You know, just listen to very experienced developers which we have some of them in-house at Convexity. And we also invited some people to actually take them through. So we went through a lot of things they need to do, the challenges in the field, what they need to understand. And if there's need for them to follow up and continue, we're giving guidance. As I speak with you now, we have some developers in Convexity as a result of that meetup, you know, for them that came here that we're mentoring. Uh, we're guiding them building solutions. We're guiding them to build the future banks uh, because we believe that DeFi are the future banks and we need the earlier we begin to build when the traditional banks wake up, they'll uh, probably catch up with us. And so we're doing that. And as a company on our own, we decided, okay, we are not just giving consultancy services. We want to also be building, you know, real life solutions that are touching, you know, directly the problems we have in Africa. And because we are very, very African-centric and we're starting from Nigeria. Take, for instance, like I did told you, I had an experience, you know, consulting for some international organization like the NGOs and all that. And uh, most of the time when we do those investigations about AIDS, you know, getting to vulnerable communities, end up not getting to vulnerable communities because they unwrap such things from some local NGOs and all that. And most of the time, when we finish our job, so many people are usually sacked. And so we sat and I said, okay, if we do have the blockchain as a truth machine, why wait until the monies are embezzled and the vulnerable communities are suffering and the poor people are not getting it, you know, before you investigate and then now bring them to book by the time it has been done. So let's use the blockchain technology to develop uh, a solution that can actually work for everyone, you know, within the cycle of what we're doing. So as a result of that, we came up with a solution called CHAT, and that stands for Convexity Humanitarian Aid Transfer Solution, which we have in-house, you know, we're building. And I did share some of that on my page yesterday to say, oh, we're tired of, you know, the aids not getting to the right people. We're tired for, you know, a lot of our news flying within Africa to say, oh, we have some newspaper publications that say, Instead of you giving your aid to Nigeria, for instance, you are better off born in it. And that is not the narrative we want to be hearing. And so we're using blockchain technology to solve that. And we're coming up with a solution very soon. And we're rounding up our development. The development team has been working for upward of one year. We're entering into the second year developing this to make it a very, very robust for people to use. So we're coming up with what we call Convexity Humanitarian Aid Transfer Solution, chart for short. And that we believe we we'll be able to transparently unwrap aids from the donors to the NGOs to the vulnerable communities to the vendors. And that is the kind of transparency and solutions we want to bring to African continent, to Nigeria more specifically, uh, when you talk about blockchain solutions. And again, extend a bit further. And we looked again uh, as a company. So far, we're tackling two issues, which we believe is germane. One is the aid distribution, conditional cash transfer. I mentioned that most people in Nigeria here will 
probably will be familiar with palliative this, palliative that, who lock up palliative and all that. Those are the kind of solutions we're trying to bring, those transparency that if you send money, is that person either got it or not, it's transparently, it can be verifiable by all, you know, using blockchain. The second part, which we believe is a teaching point, they actually have to do with our educational sector. And that also draw from my experience in my days in the banking sector. I remember crossing from one bank to the other and I go to hell, you know, getting my confirmation in those banks. Why? Because they need to write to my university until my university confirms that I actually schooled there before I could confirm and that can take forever. So, and again, that is one side. For people within the country, we have this argument, oh, Mr. A attended this university, Mr. B didn't attend this university, oh, this result was forged, or oh, can we get a VC of ABC University write us to confirm if this result is okay? And we believe this is a cake, this is outdated, and we have a solution that can make this very transparent for whoever cares to understand and check if you actually went to that school or not. And so, of course, we are having another solution called BitSat that will unwrap our credentials within in partnership with universities to make sure you issue your credential via the blockchain. So it's either Mr. A attends your university or he never did. And that can be verified by a click by anybody in the world. And that is not ready. You are not able to change it because it is immutable. So if you have a third class, you have a third class forever and it's verifiable by all. You can edit it. If you went to ABU, for instance, you went to ABU and uh, you, can, you can change it. And uh, that helps, you know, to check those arguments within our political cycle because we see that a lot on the TV and each time election comes or who is not disqualified, who is disqualified, who did that and all that. Secondly, for students, is students going through hell to actually get their other credentials. If they're moving to maybe school abroad, they have to get their transcript to be sent and that can take forever. And most often, usually you are not given that transcript. They say, okay, can you give us the address we send it to for transparency's sake because they think you alter it. So now there's a truth machine. You can't alter it. So they can hand it over to you. Immediately you graduate and you can begin to share it each time you need it with any university that requires that transcript because they also know it is trustworthy. They can't trust that certificate because they know you can't alter it. Because they know there's this transparency of the blockchain. Also, that is what we're trying to do across different sectors to make sure that we're changing the narrative slowly because of the transparency issue that we think we have within Nigeria and Africa at large. Yeah, that's really great. I look forward to seeing and hearing of the slow changes to other sectors to the general supply chain, e-commerce, the retail industry, and all others, all others as they keep coming. Now, the AFCFTA is a discussion that's been going on for a while now, for about a year now, and everyone seems to be jumping on it. What's the plan of convexity to leverage this platform, the AFCFTA? And you know, the major tipping point in Africa is that now Africa is locked against itself and it's actually easier for you to transact with the outside world, that is the out people, businesses outside of Africa. And I think that is the narrative the Continental Free Trade Agreement is trying to actually, you know, work against to make sure that this is not happening again. So I think cryptocurrency, like you know, is going to bring easy and seamless transaction between fellows. And we have bigger projects already coming up. Like, you know, Convexity will not be able to do everything, you know, within this space. So we had uh, our partners, Bantu Blockchain Foundation, you know, doing a lot. You know, it's an indigenous, uh, indigenous infrastructure. 
And if you go to Bantu's website, for instance, and you go to check the partners, you'll find us at number one partners, even while they're just, you know, initiating and trying to change uh, this narration. Because we believe we should have a unified money, we should seamlessly be able to transact within ourselves. And it is easier, you know, for you to transact with outside world, like I said earlier, than to transact. I travel to uh, Zambia, for instance. I had my Nera. I cannot easily swap it to Zambia Kwacha. I need a dollar to interface before that happens. So a lot of things happen. And I actually saw myself really in Zambia, for instance, more comfortable, more confident with the dollar than my local currency within Africa. And the same thing happens. So they made it so possible for you to hold dollar and be rest assured that you're holding the global currency to hold pounds and all that, and not the African currencies. I think that is what we're trying to change with our partnership with Bantu Foundation to make sure that people can actually swap money against themselves, facilitate trade within Africa, and the idea of the Continental Free Trade Agreement we actually come to fruition at the end of the day. Now, this takes me to the idea of a continental digital currency or maybe a continental currency so that I don't push too far, too far that like I'm not too forward. What's your idea on it? Have you thought about this? Are you thinking about this? Or is this what the Bantu partnership is about? Yes, Bantu coin, that is the native coin on the Bantu blockchain, is actually supposed to work like that. Like you know, there's an article that I asked my colleagues at the office to post today, and that is welcome to the era of private money. So no restriction. And if you take, for instance, ECOWAS, they have been battled in and out whether we should go for ECO, whether the ECO should not happen, or these people are not cooperative enough, or this country is not, and a whole lot of things. And this uh, in the era of private money, which we are in now, or which is just starting now, anybody can float money and get the right community behind the money. And it becomes money. And people transact with it. People accept it. You know, you can imagine just a company, a simple company in the U.S. decided, oh, we want to just have a tokenized dollar. We call it USDT. And look at how many volume today. This is just a company, not even a country, not even multiple countries within a continent. And people are using it. So it depends. And I have this argument even against, you know, what we call the central bank digital currencies that central banks want to take up. And I said, okay, this is great initiative, you know, because that is the fastest way to rival, you know, the citizens moving into USDT and some other currencies of choice. That is the best way. But again, if you don't incentivize it, there's no any reason that will force that citizen to actually use that because it has a whole lot of options. Over 8,000 of those coins run around and you can pick and dump anyone a choice depending on the one that gives them the best utility. So I think we are in a different time in, in our history. That is what I believe we should begin to look at. We can do everything, but of course, a lot of people are coming out with country-specific stablecoin. Like a lot of initiatives that I'm aware of have what they call the NGN, the Naira stablecoin, uh, NGNT, a lot of them are coming up, you know, Nara coin, talk about them, you know, where they have not gotten the popularity that they expect, but I believe with initiatives like that across different countries, we happen to, to be springing up. So if we eventually, you know, come up, everyone have got a dream. If you take the famous musician, Akon, for instance, he believed that his Acorn is going to be the African currency. A lot of people, you know, believe they can do that. So you are think now, it gives a lot of choice to the community. Uh, as an individual, I believe I have more choice than I had, than I used to have. And um, so it's beautiful and great for everyone. And this innovation is life transforming and we're happy that we're living in this time. Yeah, so I want to ask about the adoption of 
both solutions that have already been provided by convexity were out tied to the proper education and information integration of the public about how blockchain is very beneficial to the African continent considering the many challenges it faces with accountability and all of that. So what's your take on this? First of the adoption rates and then the education and proper integration of members of the public about this new technology. We've still got in my opinion a very long way to go. Um, adoption I will tell you we are very rapid. And we're very rapid because we have a broken financial system within Africa. And uh, most of the reason why those adoptions are happening is the bottlenecks within payment across Africa, like I told you earlier. So the moment you find a solution, everyone jumps on that solution. And I think that propels the adoption, you know, uh, for cryptocurrency. Take Nigeria, for instance, every day. The young people, that is the discussion on the street, everywhere, on social media, they've got some new money. That is what they're doing. That is what they're trading. That is what is changing their financial destiny in their own worlds. And um, therefore, uh, adoption is easier. But again, education, because a lot of people get their hands burnt, you know, because they have not gotten themselves educated before they jump into it. So you jump in and you just, you know, punch yourself and... We, we have series, series of complaints, series of um, scams, fraud coming in to say, oh, we want it investigated. And uh, the ones that we can investigate have to be something substantial because it will not be worth the effort most of the time because it takes the same process to investigate one coin stolen, for instance, and even 100 BTC stolen, for instance. So and um, we get that every day. So what, what, what that explains is that we need more education, even as we move towards adoption. Adoption is happening gradually. I think the only people left behind are the government because, of course, they have to be cautious and of, 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 uh, rightly so, and because they have to understand how it goes. They have to know the risks areas. They have to also prepare and see what they can say about money laundry, how, what they can say about terror financing using such money. And that is a source of concern for government, for regulators and all that. And I think that explains the slow adoption. But for individual citizens across African countries, the adoption is going very, very, very massive. It's been really, really great talking to you today. This chat has been really, really enlightening. We've been speaking to Adid Deji Owonibi, a tech entrepreneur, blockchain solutions advocate, digital asset investor. He has really deep knowledge in tokenomics, that's uh, token economics, <laughs> cryptocurrencies, the workings of both the public and enterprise blockchain solutions. He's also a trained cryptocurrency forensic investigator, the founder and CEO of Africa's first blockchain forensic lab, Convexity Hub. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, your expert opinions, uh, your time and your innovation with us here on this show. Thank you very much, Antonia. I look forward to more of this. I appreciate it. Really, I really look forward to us breaking down the very details of tokenomics and as the government in Nigeria and the EFCFT progresses with con conversations about payment gateways and digital currencies, central bank digital currencies across Africa. We look forward to having you shine more light on how this will play out for both the private and the public sector and players. It will be my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening and don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.